on the western edge of a wild continent where a great river snogs the sea with its brown silty mouth there lies a city an ancient city of commerce pilgrimage and prosperity but this city has long burst the boundaries of its medieval walls as migrants from land, sea and beyond pour in to grease the wheels of productivity and progress in this new 19th century. The city balances on the cliff edge of frightening change. In its people, in its politics, in its power, the era of machines is upon us and heralding an age of reform, rebellion and riot from which things may never be the same again. Ladies, gentlemen, those who just don't give a fuck, listener, adventurer, there is work to be done. Welcome to Capital. South of the river, this new world manifests itself in two of Capital's newest districts. Hugging the estuary and the western sea wall, the fast-developing beating heart of the Industrial Revolution, Rivermouth. Wagons and waterways wind between the factories, mills and chimney stacks which rise up from the fertile soil of this former farmland. The streets here are run by the violent Shooters Hill gang under the infamous leader, Teddy Fowler. To the east of the Royal Road, we find Frogmore, a dank wetland that was settled by Fay immigrants a century ago. It's now a sprawling slum for all peoples united in poverty. Open sewers, crowded tenement blocks and unstructured Dickensian streets that belong to Fay gangsters called the Fool's Brigade. And it is here, in Frogmore, where we begin our adventure in capital. Today is May Day, the first day of summer celebrated by the Fay community as Beltane. Bouquets and garlands of yellow and white flowers, marigolds, gorse and primrose are laid on windowsills and doorways across the district, tied around the horns of cows and the tails of sheep, to bless the livestock, appease the arch Fay, and ward off the influence of the unseelie from the home. It is in one such home a quaint terraced house not far from the Royal Canal that we find the Greywing residence. Constance and Caleb, an elderly Alfolk couple and their brood of adult offspring. Most of them have fled the nest, but playing a card game in the parlour, we find two that still live here in the family home. Former prize fighter Curtis and his older sister Amy. Curtis is an Alfolk man. He has the features of a barn owl. Uh, and yet Curtis is very well-dressed, greys and blues and lilacs, because his uh, shadier past has afforded him some money. Curtis moonlights as a boxer. He's known as the wingless wonder. Curtis was born without wings because he has cerebral palsy, which affects his legs and arms um, and his energy levels. And he has some very fine filigree silver leg splints that he wears to walk which are very, very delicate and custom-made. Yeah, so Curtis is playing a game of Pharaoh with uh, with Amy, and uh, he's not doing so good. He's a bit rusty. Are you sure you're playing right? What do you mean, Curtis? I don't mean to ruffle your feathers, but did you cheat on that last round? Did you not learn anything during your misspent youth at the Lucky Penny? You're supposed to cheat in this game, Curtis. You're just not supposed to get caught. Well, you did get caught. I saw you. All right, all right. Take your money back. Look, I've had enough of cheating in games. Can't we just play fair for once? I'm still winning by five crowns, so cough up. All right, all right. 
Any, anyway, I haven't been to the Lucky Penny in years. And as you hand over five crowns to your sister, you hear a knock on the door. Your mother goes to answer it, and after a few minutes, you hear the whistle of a boiling kettle in the kitchen. Your mother appears in the parlour. Curtis, there's a gentleman here to see you. Oh, who is it? A very handsome lad. Is there someone I don't know about? Oh. He's waiting in the kitchen for you, darling. Okay, um, Ames, you're already kicking my butt. Ah, you win. Yeah, I'll uh, take the rest of your coin purse next time, shall I? <laughs> yeah, you do that, Ames. Curtis goes into the kitchen, and sitting at the kitchen table is a half-orc gentleman with an impossibly symmetrical, classically handsome face, to which he lifts up a little china teacup, the type your mother insists is only for good company. This is handsome Larry Boyd, Curtis's erstwhile colleague in the boxing league and the protection rackets of Rivermouth. The two haven't spoken since the wingless wonder discovered the full extent of Teddy Fowler's influence over his beloved sport, especially when it came to deciding the winners beforehand. Oh. Hey, Lal. Curtis, your mother makes a lovely cup of tea. Sure does. Such a nice lady. She asked if you and I were courting. Oh, uh uh-huh. What did you say? Maybe I'll bring flowers next time, eh? What are you here for, Lal? You ain't still upset at me for what happened, are you, Curtis? Mm, well, I love that sport. Sport was everything for me, and it was all a lie. I do feel bad about it, Curtis, that he upset you so much. should have known me better. Well, as you may have heard, that old racket backfired in a big way. Captain Chesterton and her detectives caught wind of it somehow. Teddy lost an awful lot of money. He's taken a step away from the boxing league. It's been run clean if you did ever want to come back to the gym. That would be great, but I'd have to make sure I trust. I trust them. Anyway, this ain't a social call, Curtis, as you may have guessed. Since taking that loss on the prize fights, Teddy's been looking for other ways to keep the cash flowing into Shooter's Hill. You're familiar with Molly's operation at the Orange Palace? Molly's still running there? She's doing very well for herself. You see, Teddy has friends in Bourbon. You know the political situation over there? Yeah. Well, his friends have valuables that they don't want in the hands of the first estate. Brandy, wine, paintings, furniture. Mm. Palais d'Orange is where they end up. Now, back in September, one of these shipments on the Royal Canal was robbed. Not far from here, in fact. What kind of stuff? What are we talking? Rifles, Curtis. Used in the revolution, about 20 of them. Shit. And the boys on the barge said it was Faye. Faye? They were attacked by a dog that came from nowhere the guns was carried off by a group of fey folk. You think it's the brigade? We don't know, Curtis, and that's the problem. Listen, Lal, what do you want from me? Do you remember when we used to be Teddy's muscle on the ground? Now, back then, if he had sent us into another district to turn the place over looking for something what belonged to him, how would that have gone down? Not well for whoever had the thing. Do you understand why I've come to you today, Curtis? Yeah, I think I'm thinking of that, you know. But, Lal, I don't work for Teddy Fowler anymore. I don't want to work for Teddy Fowler anymore. Teddy stays out of Frogmore. Out of respect for the Fae and respect for Maggie. But Teddy, Took and the other officers, they are ready to kick down some doors. Maybe the doors of your friends down the pub. Or, God forbid, people like your lovely mother. Now I'm hoping, Curtis, that this is just a big misunderstanding and that there's a more diplomatic solution. 
otherwise. Fuck, I really would start a war over some guns. Uh, look, I'll I'll see what I can do, but I don't work for Shooter's Hill. I'm doing this so that we don't get blood. It's good to be on the same page again, Curtis. Larry finishes the last few drops of his tea, picks up his jacket, his flat cap, and gets up towards the front door. Well, I won't keep you much longer. Enjoy Beltane, and give my love again to your mother. Next time, bring some flowers. <laughs> I will, Curtis. You know, I've been reading up on the language of flowers. Maybe I'll send you a message. <laughs> See you, Lau. Curtis returns to the parlour where Amy is putting away the deck of cards. Right, Curtis, uh, who was that then? Uh, that was, uh, that was Lau, Larry. Uh, a friend. Oh, a friend. Yeah, I do have them. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> Lau was asking about, um, the canal barges. You know, he told me he heard one was robbed by Faye in September. You know anything about that? You guys hit those sometimes, right? Sometimes, yeah. It's George's operation, masterminding those robberies. We mainly stick to the big companies like Pembroke or the corporation. Mm. But we ain't interested in valuables. It's always food, supplies, things what can help the poor people of Frogmore. Really? Because Lau was saying rifles. Bloody hell, Curtis. No, I don't think Georgie would touch that with a ten-foot pole. But if someone did a job like that, he might have heard something. I'll go speak to him. Well, I was just heading to the Queen Titania. Do you want to go together? Yeah, let's go. See you, Ma. Bye, chickens. If you see your father, will you send him home? And as we follow Curtis and Amy leaving the Grey Wing house, keep an hand on your wallet and watch because we are going deeper into the district of Frogmore. And we arrive at the Queen Titania, a wooden-framed working-class alehouse a painted sign of the supreme archfey hangs above the door and welcomes us into the heart of this ragtag community. Bringing up a fresh keg from his basement brewery is the proprietor, the cunning man Billy Brewer, an eccentric old rabbit folk who was once the magician of the Sealy Court. Working the busy lunchtime shift are members of the Pigeons, a group of gold-hearted thieves loosely organised by Curtis's former childhood friends to Robin Hood the rich and feed the poor, unwashed citizens of Frogmore. Speaking of... It is here at the Queen Tits that we find Pantera Panty Snipes, a leopard-featured catfolk with a knack for sniffing out trouble. Panty is a catfolk, a leopard. She's wearing what was once a very finely tailored expensive suit and is now quite worn. It is purple velvet with a fluffy trim around the lapels. Um, she has, it's hard to tell if it's her hair or a um, very covert toupee, combed into a, a fine quiff on top of her head. She is most likely curled up under a table, a bit too comfortable for her surroundings, 
underneath the table um, with a well gnawed on chicken bone in her hand. Excuse me, sir, I've come to the... Oh no, sorry to bother you. Excuse me, miss. Excuse me. Panty, your leopard ears prick up as you become aware of quite a posh-sounding gentleman going around the pub, trying to get the attention of the servers or the regulars or just anyone who'll speak to him. Yes, I'm here looking for a tracker, a private investigator by the name of Panty Snipes. Did someone say Panty Snipes? I expect Panty would probably at this point climb onto a table, raise one hand in the air and say, For I am the mighty Panty Snipes, the most mysterious and hard to find in all of town. Oh, that's you? Fantastic. Uh, Please, do you mind if we sit? Indeed. Slide down here. You must forgive me, I'm not used to coming to this side of the river very often. Yeah, I can tell. Although I am very much looking forward to witnessing the May Day celebrations, I am something of an amateur folklorist myself. That is beside the point. My main purpose for visiting this establishment is I require some help locating a missing person. Missing person, eh? Oh, forgive me, I should introduce myself. My name is Frederick Gordon Esquire. Nice to be Frederick Gordon. I am the Mighty Panty Snipes. Well met, Miss Snipes. May I get the first round, as they say? I'll have a saucer of milk. And a pint of ale, please. After a few minutes at the bar, Frederick returns to Panty's table with a round of ale and milk. So, to business. I require your assistance locating a young lady whom I was courting. Go on. I, I think I need to know a little bit more about your motives before I uh, tell you what I can do here. She worked in the same building as me, you see. I'm a lawyer in the Royal Courts of Justice. I courted her over the summer and it was all going swimmingly. A burgeoning romance, trips to the seaside and picnics on the downs. But then, summer ended and she just disappeared without a trace. Uh, Have you considered the fact that she might just not like you? Why, if that were true, she could have communicated that to me very plainly. A bouquet of yellow roses would have sufficed. (laughs) It was all red roses up until then. Oh, she she was bringing you red roses? Yes. Okay. And, uh... The whole thing was quite cordial. Quite cordial? Talking of cordial, Barkeep, can I have a Vimto, please? A Vim Tonic? I'm feeling rather classy talking to this gentleman here. <laughs> but Panty's Vim Tonic will have to wait, because at the bar, our two Alfolk siblings, Amy and Curtis, are being served by pigeon ringleader Georgie, a twenty-something rabbit folk man who bobs back and forth between tasks full of youthful energy. Hey, George. Ah, Curtis. How's it going? Good, thanks. How are you? Good, good. Just uh, getting the bar stuck up and ready for tonight's Beltane. Ah, yeah, cool. I'm sure it'll be a great one. Listen, I wanted to ask you about something. Oh, yeah, go ahead. So, I heard recently that um, some fae were uh, were attacking a, 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 a canal in September. I heard they took rifles. You don't normally take rifles. Oh, interesting. Um, no, I do remember around that time... Uh, do you know that suspicious-looking cat folk that comes in here? Uh, not me. No, not you. <laughs> the the gambler who likes to sit and play dice. Gambler? Sorry, no, I don't really pay much attention to gamblers. Oh well, there's a skinny-looking cat folk that comes in here to play dice sometimes. And back in September, he was trying to flog us some information about a special shipment coming on at night on the canals. We managed to poke him and prod him and find out that he was talking about firearms. So it was you? No, no, no. One of our boys 
followed him, found out that he was talking to the coppers. Shit. Smelled like a sting, so he didn't take the bait. Now, I'm not saying no one else did. They said it They said it was Faye. If it's not us, then who? Georgie prepares a vim tonic for Panty and brings it over to the booth where she and Frederick are meeting. Right, so let me get this straight. You were dating someone, and then they stopped talking to you, and now you're classifying them as a missing person. Sounds a well, bit I, dramatic. I can't think of any other possible explanation. And her workplace won't let me talk to them. Why not? Well, they say uh, it's above my clearance level. Her colleagues at the Royal Inquisitors just simply won't talk to me. Right. This is some kind of private investigator lover's spat thing going on. I mean, I can find her, but I can't guarantee that she's going to want to talk to you. Oh, well, any evidence of her whereabouts and her safety would console me greatly. I've been sick with worry since All Hallows' Eve. Since All Hallows' Eve? All right, here's the deal. I can find her, and I can tell you whether or not she's dead or well. But beyond that, it's going to depend on whether she wants to be known about. How's that sound? Would you like to know more about my beau's name and description? Is that something that would help you? No, I mean, go on. I'd rather... Have you got anything that smells like her? On our first date, she lent me this pocket handkerchief. Ooh! Let's have a look, then. Let's have a sniff. All right, she's sniffing it. He hands you a dainty white silk handkerchief, and beyond the smell of violet perfume, you latch on to the distinct scent signature of the missing woman. Go on, what's her name? Her name was Linith. Linith. My little Linny, or my little Linnet, I used to call her. Linnet. Linny. Linith. How am I going to remember that? Linnet. Lin... Linny... Lin- like the bird, you know, the linnet? Yeah. Uh, Alright, S- linnet, anything else you can tell me about her? She was quite a capable magic user. She worked as an inquisitor at the Royal Courts of Justice. Uh-huh. Alright, that'll do it. Give me a couple of days. Oh, that would be perfectly fine. And we can discuss your payment if you wish. I mean, how many chickens can I get? Teddy Fowler's going to want his guns back. If he thinks it's us, then there'll be trouble. If you have any idea, if it's not us, who would it be? Well, who in Frogmore would want rifles? Every fucker. Maybe track down that catfolk. I think his name was uh, Jerome or John or something. I know a few catfolk. I'll ask around. Thanks, Georgie. I'll, uh, I'll let you know. Teddy's bad news. I don't work for them anymore. But if helping them keeps blood off the streets of Frogmore, then it's got to be done. Curtis, check this out. I've invented a new drink, right? Get yourself a saucer of milk, yeah? And you pour in a bit of Vimto, and then you pour on top of that a bit of ale, and then you just, like, lap it up. I'm going to call it the Panty Slurps. Oh, bloody hell. Go on, try it, try it. Hi, Panty. Hi. Hi. Uh, I'm not going to try that, thank you. All right. Leaves more slurps for me. I don't think it would be very good for my constitution. <laughs> oh, talking to constitution, you haven't got any chicken on you, have you? I'm afraid not, friend. <sighs> what you got to? Oh, I'm just um, doing some digging on, on something that needs being dug. Digging in the dug? Actually, you could help. Um, I'm I haven't got any shovels. I'm looking for a cat folk. You found one, I'm right here. No, a specific cat folk. Okay, man. go on. Uh, skinny gambling type? Skinny gambling type. Been gambling round here. Got a name? Uh, Jerome, Johnny, something like that. Uh-huh. Got a smell? I didn't smell them. Got any chicken? 
Don't know, possibly. <gasps> if you find him, maybe there's chicken. <laughs> oh, uh, I've got two chicken incentives today. What, are we going to go find this fella then? We need to find this fella. You can help me find the fella, can't yeah, you? Was I supposed to be doing something? Can't remember. Yeah, let's go. Wait, you know, if you're busy, I can find another, I can find another cat. You won't find another cat like me. There are no other cats like you, Panty. Oh, 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 oh. Ooh. <laughs> right, well, let's go find. I think Panty's going to get up and run out the door. Do you know where you're going? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I ran out of the room before I thought about that. Um, gambling, probably to the Orange Palace. That's where the gambling happens, isn't it? It's, the bad things happen to you when you go to the Orange Palace because it sends a chill down my spine to go there but for some reason I keep going back and I think it's because they've got a good kitchen. Well, I mean, the last time I was there I found out that one of my close associates and kind of my boss's right-hand right hand woman was actually a, a mole, a spy. Molly the mole. Molly, Molly the mole. Molly the mole, yeah. Um, yeah, bad things tended to happen at the Palace Orange, yeah. Last time I went there, someone threatened to erase my mind. I won't go into too much detail, but that might explain why I might be a little bit alert when I'm walking in there. Um, Panty, if they erased your mind, how would you know? <gasps> what, you mean maybe they did? Well, if um, it's erased... Oh, God. What? I don't want to think about that, Curtis. <laughs> okay, let's go. On their way to the Orange Palace, the Owl and the Pussycat pass through the dead centaur Frogmore, Bedlam Square. Imposing four-storey tenements encircle a wide, muddy intersection of roads, at the centre of which stands a tall, granite obelisk that predates the settlement. A monument to the Battle of Frogmore, colloquially known as Liam's Grave, after the military leader who died here 400 years ago. Today it is the busy centre of May Day celebrations, as music plays, Morris dancers dance, and Liam's grave becomes a grand maypole around which the citizens of Bedlam weave ribbons of red, white and gold. Panty follows her nose and heads straight for a street food stall offering chicken-like meat and run by a young halfling representing the pigeons. Oh, chicken-like meat! I don't think I'm the type of person who questions what they eat. I mean, I prefer chicken, but, um, yeah. Um, oh, do I... Th- thieving for a thief? I mean, they won't miss a little bit. Um, can I try and sn- sneak in and, um... Oh, please take all you like. Take all I like? Yes. Oh, I was going to steal from you, though. Well, Panty! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can turn my back if you want me to. Oh, that sounds cute. Let's do that. Around the perimeter of the festivities, our adventurers notice a handful of vigilant, dark-robed officials wearing tricorn hats. These are the Royal Inquisitors, an order of witch hunters slash prosecutors who keep an eye out for illegal magic and determine exactly how illegal it should be. I don't know what that sounds to these guys. They sound like killjoys. Killjoys they may be, but they are also the colleagues of your missing Lineth. Ah, uh, yes! Alright, so, um, I don't want to talk to these weird-looking guys immediately, but I am going to, um, wipe, <laughs> wipe the, the apparently chicken off my mouth, um, and see if, see if any of them, s- can I sniff, sniff my, um, sniff my way around these people, see if any of them smell like, um, Linny. None of them seem to smell like the aroma on that handkerchief. 
there's one of them that smells particularly nice, like a really nice perfume. It's a sort of darker-skinned half-elf man carrying a big hurdy-gurdy. A hurdy-gurdy, nice! Is he playing it? No, not yet. He's just sort of wielding it. Wielding, wielding a hurdy-gurdy! <laughs> Here comes the hurdy-gurdy man. Alright, I reckon Panty's going to slide on up to this sweet-smelling Inquisitor. She's going she's gonna to try and act surreptitious, I think is the word. Mm. Beltane, eh? Yes, quite a celebration. Are you um, having a nice day there? Uh, fellow Inquisitor? Fellow Inquisitor? Well, it's uh, just got a little bit nicer. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, it's like that, is it? Um, <laughs> Panty brushing her fur, licking the back of her paw. Um, so, uh, you been, uh, been busy today, huh? Not so far. People have been on their best behaviours. Gets a little bit rowdier later on when the uh, youngsters do their fire jumping. Fire jumping, eh? Um, so uh, you work up at the courthouse, I believe. The Royal Courts of Justice, yes, that's where I have my office. Mm. Name's Thornton Rand. Thornton Rand. That's a lovely name, Thornton Rand. You don't um, you don't know someone who works up at the courthouse called Linny, do you? Yes, Inquisitor Powell. That's the one. We haven't seen her for many months, not since uh, All Saints' Night. All Saints' Night? She was working here in the district, doing the same thing we're doing today in Beltane, but it was on Samhain. Ah. I was working closer to the Queen Titania, and I don't know where she ended up, but that was the last time anyone saw her. What, she's been missing? Yes. First I've heard of it. (laughs) It must be, well, I guess it's Beltane now, so that's exactly six months. Six months? Well, no one's heard anything of her? No. And I've been pressuring the Inquisitor General to look into the matter, but she says it's not important. Not important? She, uh, she's a bit of a tricky one to deal with. She has strong opinions about the use of arcane magic within the Order. The General? So, has Lenny got any family? Not that I know of. I think she came here from Mount Joy a few years ago, most likely on her own. And no one's looking for her since she went missing? No, well, I've been trying to, but uh, the Inquisitor General shuts me down. Huh. What have you heard about her? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, um, he's still trying to be mysterious and failing miserably. I was just, uh, I just heard that um, that she hadn't been around for a while, so um, I was just wondering where she got to. Yes, well, I'd like to know that too. I think she was a fantastic uh, presence in the workplace. She smelled beautiful. <laughs> Wait a second, you smell beautiful. What's going on here? Is that a coincidence? Oh no, it's just something I like to put an effort into. And I notice it on others. (laughs) Then you'll notice that I smell like something that's not quite chicken. Yes, I wasn't going to mention that. (laughs) Um, I'm not sure. We all got our assignments to come and work at the Salwen celebrations on All Saints Night. And then we all took off to our various posts. Individually? Yes. And what was her post? I'm not sure, but um, the last thing she was working on was uh, she was looking for this fey sorcerer, a fugitive... Oh, tell me more. Well, she suspected that he was being harboured here in Frogmore, but of course the the citizens of this district tend to give us a cold shoulder. Mm-hmm. She was getting a bit frustrated with the uh, lack of progress and the willingness of the Fae to help cooperate. Mm. 
Alright, well nice talking to you. Um, if you fancy some mysterious meat, head on over there my friend. It's free. Have a nice day and uh, stay smelling tasty. Panty, why are you talking to the quizzies? Talking to the quizzies? I wasn't talking to the quizzies. Who was hey. talking to the quizzies? You were. What's a quizzy? The Inquisitor. Have you seen that obelisk over there? Yes. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, are we going to the old Palais d'Orange? Which reminds me of Duck L'Orange. Are you hungry? I'm hungry. Are you always hungry? Always hungry. Let's go. Heading west, our heroes find themselves on the Royal Road. The historic trade route between Capital and its nearest ally to the southeast, the Kingdom of Mountjoy. It also represents the boundary between the districts of Frogmore and Rivermouth, a busy main thoroughfare flanked by shops and businesses on the approach to the old Capital Bridge and the gateway into the old city. On the eastern side of the Royal Road we find a two-storey establishment, its facade painted orange and adorned with golden lettering which welcomes our adventurers into Palais d'Orange. The Orange Palace was opened last summer, a casino in the style of those found in Bourbon during the revolutionary years. The furniture and games here are all imports from that politically troubled city, as are the orange waistcoated staff almost all of them being ex-revolutionaries fleeing the recent regime change as power shifts back to the church and the crown. A large crowd of gamblers gather to play boule around a large wooden wheel, reminiscent of roulette but painted with racing horses and played with a large rubber ball. Another popular game here is hazard, the more complicated ancestor of craps played with two dice. It's here that Panty and Curtis notice a skinny, catfolk man with the features of a snow leopard, hunched over the green baize table, dice in hand. So this guy was uh, going around Frogmore and, um, and, and selling information about some guns, a shipment of guns. We need to find out, I want to find out who he sold it to. Listen, I don't want to be... Um, but you cats, you're, you're all friends with each other, right? So, uh, <laughs> um, it's um, quite an assumption you're making there. Yeah, I, well... A generalisation. Yeah, well, well, I'm friends with loads of owl, owl folk. Okay, what, you want me to make friends with this with this snow leopard over here and, and ask him if he knows about a shitload of guns? Yeah, I just think he'll be more amicable talking to uh, uh, another cat folk as opposed to uh, a wingless owl folk. You don't see those every day. Okay. Uh, Plus, I'm, like, known around here, uh, uh, but not in a good way. I mean, I did help name the place, but still not in a good way. Mm. All right, but you know I'm not very good at being covert. Despite being a, a renowned private investigator, I'm, I'm not very good at being covert. Well, I believe in you, Panty. This is the time where you show your skills. You're, you're the great Panty Snipes, aren't you? I am the great Panty Snipes. All right, watch this. Panty um, cartwheels towards the Snow Leopard slides on next to him and says hey what do you know about the guns well I got a couple guns for you right here <laughs> and he shoots you a couple finger guns <laughs> nice uh, fancy a sorcerer Vimto sounds delightful are you here to play with Lady Luck Lady Luck who's she well maybe first I should introduce myself 
flagon of wine, the gambling cat. Ooh, Lady Luck's on my side. Snake eyes, no thank ya. Pick a mane and take a chance. Black or red, I keep my cards close to my chest. And don't forget the Joker. <laughs> Uh, nice to meet you. <laughs> and you are? I'm the mighty Panty Snipes. And? And I'm here to party hard. What do you mean, and? Oh, my apologies. I mistook you for a member of Jellicle Society, a follower of the Cat Lord. Oh, li- listen. Listen, you you lot. I've been in a graveyard with a small piano, waiting for the summoning of the Cat Lord, and Cat Lord never came. So, I'm not going down that direction again. Unless... You don't know anything about a, um, a boatload of guns, do you? A boatload of guns? Well, why don't you make it worth my time? Make it worth your time? Or maybe we could shoot some dice. You seem like a bit of a risk-taker. Oh yeah, I'll take some risks. Let's go. Risks ahoy! Very well. He hands you the two dice. Okay, name your main. Name my main? Didn't you play this game before? Maybe the rules have vanished from your mind. Oh god, I did. I did. I'll go for a five. Five seems lucky, lucky number five. Oh, don't you know you should always pick seven? But again, I guess you are the risk-taking cat. I am the risk-taking cat. Watch me go. I got a six and a three. So now that's your chance. Do you, okay. un- do you understand the rules? Are they coming back to you? Not really. So now you have to roll again, and if you get your chance, you win. And if you get your main, which was five, you lose. Uh-huh. Anything else, you roll again until one of the other happens. Okay. I got five. <laughs> I've lost. Oh, sorry, buddy. You lose. Yeah, I do. Lady Luck is not on my side today. All right. So, what about these little, um, these little gold coins? How how's that improve my luck, my uh, leopardy friend? Mm, a measly amount for some interesting information, I think. So, if I put this gold coin here and this gold coin here and this third gold coin right here, maybe make it another ninety-seven. Ninety-seven. Oh, empties bag. Has 150. Curtis! What? Come over here! I'm asking some secret questions. Oh, Curtis makes like an owl squawk, which is like a an owl folk curse. Um, <laughs> nice, I like that one. Yeah, uh, and goes over, yeah. Listen, lean in. L- lean, in lean in here, Curtis. Mm-hmm. So, tell me about this boat. No, the guns. The, what are we asking? We're asking him. Hello. Oh, nice to meet you. My name is Jerome Johns. Aha! Curtis Greywing. Wingless Wonder, you might have seen me. Yes, I've heard of you. I've actually lost quite a lot of money betting against you. Listen, my friend here is giving you the coin. Um, what do you know about this this boat shipment of, of firearms that was stolen? Now listen, I was in a bit of a rough patch over the summer. I got myself quite severely in the red here at the Orange Palace. And the manageress was threatening to send me to the debtor's prison. So she said, I won't send you to prison, but you can do a little job for me. If you go into a Frogmore, spread the word about some guns that are being shipped on the canal to people who might want to intercept them. And that's what I did. You can't blame me for trying to make an extra little bit of coin. No, so Molly told you. I don't know a Molly. I know Miss Catherine Leroy, the proprietress of this casino. Fuck yes. That's her alias. Yeah. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, sorry, I forgot she had an alias. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, Leroy, that's it. Sorry, I, I get, uh, I get uh, confused. I meet so many people boxing, you know. We've got a few old hits to the old noggin. Yeah, that's the one. Um, yeah, Leroy. Yeah. So she told you. Yeah, she told me to go spread 
information over in Frogmore. So she knew exactly where they would be and, and where they were coming from? Yeah, she, sa- she said she had a shipment coming here to the Orange Palace and that she just wanted people in Frogmore to find out about it. Who did you tell? Well, I tried to tell those pigeons, but they were being stingy with me. Mm-hmm. The only other person I managed to spill the beans to was that awful bouncer at the Lucky Penny. Um, John Joe? If that's his name, the man who uh, chased me out with that awful hound. That'll be him. He's the only person you told. You're sure of that? Miss Leroy told me to tell Captain Tusker and his men to keep an eye out on the canal. Yeah, well, that didn't work out, did it? Well, I'm not sure. I just take the money and uh, play the game, you see. Nice. Well, seems you've played played well, but uh, thank you for the information. You're welcome, my friend. Would you care to roll the old bones? Nah, my gambling days are over, friend. Suit yourself, it is the greatest thrill you can have with your clothes on. No, although I couldn't help it hearing with me our folk ears. Why do you always pick seven? If you pick seven every time, you're guaranteed the best odds. If everyone knows the optimal strategy, then isn't the game a bit pointless? Well, that part of the game is pointless for sure. (laughs) Maybe they should change it someday. That would be nice. I quite enjoyed choosing five, personally. It led me to a swift loss. <laughs> you enjoyed losing? Well, I mean, adds a bit of flavour to things, doesn't it? And, you know, it, it never fails to amaze me how you roll with the punches. <laughs> I've got a question for you. Yeah. Well, uh, let's, leave our, let's leave our cat friend behind. Nice talking to you. Happy hazarding, my hazardous friend. All right, so what we, what, what do we find out for you, then? We want to find out about this... Boatload of guns. Yeah, he says John John Joe is the only person he told. So I guess I gotta go. Um, I gotta go speak to John Joe. Well, what's old uh, Molly got to do with this? Is she trying to cook up some conspiracy? I don't know. That's true. We we could go ask her, but I don't know. That's dangerous. I I don't really want to speak to her again. Uh, Not after what? I... <clears throat> Does she know you? Yeah, I, I uh, <laughs> made quite an impression last time I spoke to her. Uh, I used I used too many puns and implied that I knew that she was a mole and um, she kind of sussed me out pretty quick and sent me packing. I did do a pretty cool front flip off the balcony though in the mezzanine. Up the stairs of the Orange Palace, past the VIP balcony where the wealthier clientele play baccarat and belote, is the office of the manageress, Catherine Leroy. A pseudonym, of course, and both Panty and Curtis know her real identity as Molly Day, an officer of the Shooters Hill gang who recently completed a 12-year stint at Her Majesty's pleasure. They also both know that she is a mole, undermining Teddy Fowler's operations by feeding information to Captain Chesterton of the Copper Guard. You see, 12 years ago, Teddy Fowler got spooked by an inquisitor who was getting a little bit too close. So he paid him a visit and the awful, heinous assault that transpired... Well, I'll spare you the details. Molly was only 18 years old at the time, and to prove her loyalty to Teddy, she agreed to go down for the crime. She stood up in the highest court of the land and said, I did it. Of course, everyone knew the truth, but the only eyewitness was beaten half dead, and no magistrate wanted to end up the same way. That was the day Teddy Fowler became untouchable. Now poor Molly, she assumed she'd be in Northgate for a couple of months before Teddy bailed her out. Then a whole season passed, years, six years. And even when the squalid Northgate prison was condemned and torn down, 
She still held out hope that the prison wagon would stop, the doors would fly open and her beautiful Teddy would be standing there at the rescue. Then came six more years in the martyr's house, the new jail. But it wasn't the pump or the treadmill or the order of the rack that broke her. It was the realisation that Teddy Fowler wasn't coming. So Molly put her head down, she did her shifts, she found faith in the martyr, or at least claimed to, until last spring, she was finally given her freedom. But it wasn't Teddy waiting for her outside those gates, it was Captain Chesterton, the new head of the coppers in Rivermouth, who was out to prove that Teddy Fowler wasn't untouchable after all. A few months later, around the time that Molly's new casino was being opened, Teddy smelled a rat when a shipment was impounded by Chesterton's detectives. He asked Curtis personally to look into it, and with the help of his feline friend, Pantera, discovered the evidence of Molly and Chesterton's collusion. A desperate Molly let him in on the whole story, and suddenly Curtis didn't feel like working for Teddy anymore. She sent a scapegoat to the debtor's prison, and Curtis walked away from Shooter's Hill. Curtis, it's been a long time. That it has, Mole, that it has. I understand you took some time away from Shooter's Hill, as per my advice. Wise thing to do. Yeah, yeah, thank you. What brings you back to the palace? Um, I wanted to talk to you. Okay, take a seat. Curtis sits down. Panties. And he's going to slide in and try and look intimidating from the back, with, I... her, arm, with her arms folded. Aye, it's you. Yes, I know you two are friends. <clears throat> what can I do for you, Curtis? So, Mole, a while back... I heard something about a barge full of rifles that was attacked by the Fae in uh, in Frogmore. Your rifles, actually. And it turns out you told everyone that they'd be coming. You tried to spread that round. Now, why would you do that, Molly? Okay. Now, I'm not coming here for Shooter's Hill, you understand. I'm coming here for me. Oh, I understand, Curtis. Do you remember why this whole situation began in the first place? It was a shipment of guns that was intercepted by the coppers. So Teddy got suspicious, asked you to find them all, and you and I came to a solution, so we did. Yeah. And as far as Teddy's concerned, there is no mole anymore. Now that puts my situation on a knife's edge, do you understand? I have to keep my head down, but also give Chesterton what she wants. Now one thing she doesn't want is more guns on the streets of Rivermouth and in the hands of Teddy Fowler. Do you see the predicament, Curtis? Mm. If these rifles got nicked, directly by the coppers. Teddy'd smell a rat and the whole thing would start over again. He'd find out about me and he'd find out that you let me carry on. So you got your cat friend to go running around in Frogmore telling whoever will listen about the rifles. The whole thing was a setup. Now you weren't here, Curtis, so I had to come by a solution by myself. And I'm sorry if it spilled over to your wee friends in Frogmore. It was someone I know. And if... If people I know are in Teddy Fowler's crosshairs, then that's my problem. And even if it's not people I know, if Teddy Fowler comes rummaging around Frogmore, all hell is going to break loose on the streets. You don't want that. I don't want that. Maybe it's what Chesterton wants. You really think Chesterton's trying to start a war? She has something to prove, and Teddy is her way of proving it. The more dangerous and desperate he is, the more her superiors are going to pay attention to Rivermouth which means more powers for her and her detectives. I won't let her use me and mine for her own gain, for her own power. I think it's your problem now, Curtis. I know the guns didn't get to Teddy, and that's my priority. I know who they're with. If we can get them back to you, then the supply chain is all good, right? It depends if you want to be in Chesterton's crosshairs or Teddy's. 
I've made my choice. I can't make that one for you. Oh, I don't want to be in his sightlines any more than anyone does. But I don't want to see my brothers and sisters lying bloody on the streets. Frontwell was the only home I knew for a long time. Before I worked for Teddy, before I came to Rivermouth. It's all I had. If I can't protect my own there, what good am I? Sounds like you know what to do. Yeah. Thanks, Maul. Come on, Manti. Let's go. What's the plan? We're gonna go talk to Jonjo. Who's this Jonjo character? He, uh... Runs with the Fools Brigade. When me and Annie and Georgie split off, he stayed behind. Oh, you used to be part of the Fools Brigade? Yeah. Oh. Before Annie and Georgie started the pigeons. Right, and so what's John Joe got to do with these guns? Did he nick them from the, from the canal boat? Has to be. He's the only person that yeah, Jerome told. And what do we do when we get them? We give them back to the coppers. To the copper guard? Well, I don't know what we do when we get the guns, but first we get the guns. Alright, fair, but you know I really don't like the copper guard. I also really don't like the copper guard, so maybe we shouldn't do that. Thanks for the... Yeah, maybe Let, we shouldn't do that. Let's not be giving the copper guard any guns. Well, if Teddy doesn't get his guns, there's going to be a war. So maybe we just give them back to Teddy. Alright. Well, it depends. Do we want to give our guns to gangsters or coppers? Well, that's quite a moral conundrum there, really, isn't it? Yeah, but I don't want a war, right? War in Frogmore would, would leave me and my family and all my mates dead and buried. That ain't happening. If I have to give guns to... Teddy fucking Fowler, then maybe so be it. Alright, that's your call. Anyway, we don't know until we know, so let's go see John Joe. To the north of Bedlam Square lies the cultural and financial heart of Frogmore, the Lucky Penny, a church-like building that rises up from the mud. Behind its large wooden doors hides a grand music hall theatre, a gambling hell and vice den, the headquarters of the Fool's Brigade. Remember those Fey immigrants I was talking about? The ones that settled on Frogmore a century ago? Most of them migrated here to capital, fleeing an armed uprising in the Fey realm. The Prince of Fools, a fearsome arch-Fey warrior, tried to overthrow his mother, Queen Titania, with violence. The Fool's coup eventually failed, the Fool was imprisoned, and his followers scrambled to escape the consequences. And where did they end up? Well... We rejoin our pair of adventurers as they arrive outside the Lucky Penny, and it is busy. There's obviously a special event on today that is attracting a throng of citizens who queue to get in as May Day becomes early evening. Sprites and Piskies attempt to manage the line with the help of a satyr musician. And if we look up, we see perched on the large lantern above the door a feminine sprite with pale grey skin and hair, wings of pastel pink, and one eye completely black. Our adventurers don't notice her. Oh, of course there's something on. It's Beltane. Oh, it might be difficult to uh, try and find a place to talk. What? You want to talk to me? No, to John Joe. Oh! <laughs> um, yeah. Does he work here? He's the bouncer. We need to ask him about the guns. Well, you just walk on up to him and ask him. If you want to be a bit more surreptitious, we can sneak another back. I'm not sure I need to be surreptitious here. I mean... He knows me. He, we, we used to be friends. I don't think we need to sneak in. Let's all just let's just skip the queue and go and trap to him then. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They wouldn't let a crip like me queue anyway. Uh, excuse me, coming through. A pisky steward flies over to Curtis and helps them navigate the queue. Come round here, my darling. Make way, please. Come up through this entrance, my dear. Letting them into the crowded lobby of the theatre. From the walls hang large banners depicting the stars of the stage. A satyr drag queen with pink petticoat and parasol, a butch fairy actress with a top hat and cane, 
a dashing satyr gentleman in a military jacket. And at the centrepiece of them all, Maggie Mulberry, a fairy with the wings of a swallowtail butterfly wearing a grand silk gown and hat with a huge ostrich feather. The painting is at least five decades old and definitely from her golden era. The lobby is being overseen by a handful of watchful face security guards. A pisky with candy floss hair of yellow and lilac surveys from the rafters. A small person who appears to be made entirely of green leaves checks bags and purses with the help of a young winter fay elf. And sniffing around the crowd as they come in is an imposing pit bull-like dog with beige fur and elongated pointy ears. On the other end of its leash, a cocky young summer fay elf with golden face tattoos and twigs of summer foliage emerging from his lion's mane of blonde hair. This is John Joe Griffin. Well, fuck me, if it isn't Curtis Greywing. Ah, oh, hey, Johnny. I haven't seen you since you left to be Billy Big Bollocks in the boxing ring. How's that treating you? Ah, uh, I got knocked out a couple of times. Real hurts the face. Have you come back to the brigade, Curtis, or are you just here for Beltane? No, I. Uh, I'm sorry, John. I'm just here to talk. To talk with who? Me? Yeah. Look, I just need to talk to you, okay? I'm sorry about how things went down, but this is bigger than me and you. Come on then, say your piece. Look, you, you know about some guns that came in last September? No, I wouldn't know about that sort of thing. Yes, you do. You were the only person they told. I don't know what you're talking about, friend. Johnny, I'm not doing this for some gang or some guy. I'm doing this for me. You understand? Now be my pal and help me out. You know what I'm talking about. Let me punch you in the face. What? Let me punch you in the face. Not a haymaker, just a wee tap from about here. I want to tell all my friends that I punched the wingless wonder in the face. Okay. I for sure. Yeah. You know, you're not the only one who's been down the gym. I've been punched in the face many a time, my friend. If that's what it takes, hit me. Okay, you asked for it. Go for it, buddy. Just from here. Yeah. A wee bit closer. A wee bit closer. John Joe places his hand up to Curtis's face to measure a palm's distance away and hovers his fist, ready to strike. With a burst of energy, he shoots his elbow forward and clocks Curtis in the cheekbone. Curtis takes the blow like a champion and John Joe reels, shaking his hand. (laughs) Fuck me, Curtis, you're made of tough stuff nowadays. you can say that. But a deal's a deal. You got to punch me in the face. Yeah, yeah, okay. Hey, is your sister Jenny into fellas? Uh, she kind of takes any kind of fancy. It's more about how someone's talking than what's between someone's legs. It's just, she seems like a real hoot. Ha! Will you, <laughs> will you tell her I said that? Yeah, I'll tell her you said she f- seems like... she's not the only comedian here in the brigade. I'll tell her you said that she's a hoot. What she'll say to that, I have no idea. Uh, it's her sense of humour. Gotcha. Now what did you want to talk to me about? Like I just said, what do you know about the rifle? Aye, for sure, for sure. So there's this wee cat fella comes in here, bothers all the other gamblers with his dice and his wee little rhymes. Can't stand him. Now he was here back in the autumn. I think he was on Lamas Day. And I decided I had enough of him, kicked him out. Threatened him with target here. And he goes crying to me. I've got some valuable information that Maggie's going to want to know and Becca's going to want to know. So I said, go on then, tell me. He lets me into a wee secret. There's a shipment of rifles coming in from Sacré-Cœur that night. So I say, I'm going to take the initiative. You know, I take Target and a couple of my boys down to the canal, rob the fellas blind. In and out, just like that, textbook operation. 
Right. Well, you see, the thing is, I found out that those rifles were meant for Teddy Fowler, for Shooter's Hill. And he's going to come after you. He's going to come after us. We don't want that. Of course, the whole thing was a sting. Got picked up by the coppers almost immediately. They put me in the ivory tower for a couple months. So they got the guns? They got the guns, but here's the thing. The pharaoh bought them back. The pharaoh? I do not know Zanash. They call her the pharaoh because she's related to the Candesa Nubia somehow. So she has them now? I she went to Captain Tusk. Now he's as bent as they come. Yeah. She paid him I don't know how much to get those rifles back in the hands of the brigade. So the brigade still has them. If the brigade has them and shooters he'll see that, then... Aye, okay. Well, let's just enjoy Beltane, shall we? Listen... Did you put your order in with Zinash? Listen, if, if they start... She's getting me a, a crate, a face doubt for myself. Because the lucky penny gets some, but I just want my own personal stash, you know. Jonjo, you don't want a war on the streets. None of you do. I reckon we could handle it. I doubt your pals in Rivermouth are a match for the Fae, Curtis. Yeah, maybe you could, but me and mine can't. It's not just you you got to think about. It's all of us. If they come for you, they'll come for all of us. While Curtis talks to John Joe, Panty is intercepted by the Pisky, who flits down into her face with shimmering pearlescent wings. This is Becca Baraya, veteran of the Fool's Coup and head of the security here at the Penny. She wields a finely detailed toffee hammer as big as herself. In any other hands, it might not be that threatening, but her attitude and reputation say otherwise. Got any weapons, mess? Weapons? A little cat like me, weapons, I wouldn't have anything on me. Got this old chicken bone, would that, is that, is that count as a weapon? I'm going to ask you again, you got any weapons? I need to make a wisdom save. Wisdom save. Twenty! Alright, you got me. Take my weapons and then I'm going to flick out my claws. Very funny, okay, come on. She's going to like, fly up and down to frisk you. Oh, okay, frisk away. Oh, um, I don't know where I've stashed my knives. Hopefully she doesn't find them. She probably will. I've got a short sword. She definitely finds the sword. For the knives, you can make a stealth roll. Yes. To see if you can conceal them. <gasps> what the fudge? And he just got a nat 20 twice in a row. <laughs> so I've got 24. Fight me. <laughs> You're here for a belting? Belting. I'm here for a belting time. Oh, very funny. <laughs> Sorry for the uh, suspicion. We don't want anything happening. Like, what happened back in... Sawin. What happened in Sawin? Humans came poking around, trying to interrupt the event. Well, what happened? Was there a fight? Something like that, yeah. Hmm. Well, let's hope nothing like that happens tonight. Lucky for you, I'm a very honest person. <laughs> now, put your sword in the cloakroom or you can fuck off up the maypole. <laughs> oh, alrighty, sword goes in cloakroom. So he's going to check out the Mayday dance then. It's a whole show with it, the whole cast, and then it finishes with Maggie's Mayday dance. Are we going to talk about this properly, or are you just going to... It's not my department. I don't know where those guns are now. Then who does? should speak to Maggie. She'd be delighted to see that you're back at the penny. Yeah, that checks out. Then yeah, I guess I'll go talk to her. Look, I don't want any bad blood between us. I really don't. Why there's no bad blood between us? Just because you abandoned your people doesn't mean we can't be friends. <laughs> See you, John Joe.
I think we should split up. Bad things always happen when we split up. Yeah, bad things, aka fun things. Listen, it'll be fine. Don't tell anyone. I stuck in my throwing knives, so it's all gonna be fine. Why are you? Why are you like this? I've got your back. Just if you need me, just call out my name, and I'll come back you up if anything happens. I've got to go do some sniffing around. I've got to find this Linny character. I guess your knives will be good in a fight. Shh, don't tell anyone. The knives that Panty is so desperate to conceal are the fangs of Bast. A pair of ancient throwing daggers of patinated bronze with simple bone handles that fit her palm perfectly. Magic weapons from the God's War, once wielded by a high priestess of the cat-headed goddess known in modern times as the Dancer. Panty acquired them from a private exhibition, and her attempts to restore them to their original condition led her to the Catflap, a secluded vice den within the Lucky Penny. The Madame here is a priestess of the Dancer, who restored the knives with ritual over the course of a few months. Her name is Bessie, and she is a half-catfolk, half-fay, whose white fur blooms with sweet-smelling apple blossom. As Panty enters through a literal cat flap, maybe it's the opium smoke in the air, or the calming, divine presence of the dancer, but violence and conflict seem impossible here, among the lounging regulars and the pretty fairies who serve them. At the bar here, she also notices a pair of owl folk. A woman in her late twenties wearing a tweed jacket and an old geezer of a barn owl leaning against the bar. Are the other two grey wings, are they um victims of Curtis? Do you think my family is every barn owl in Capital? <laughs> you were asking if I knew every cat in Capital, so But that's because cat folk have like a, a society. You have oh, a secret I see. you have a secret je- jellical society. <laughs> I'm not part of this. Oh my god. Yeah. I mean, I'm just looking at this little picture you've got of Bessie and she looks really hot, so I'm gonna have to go for Oh, Pantera, welcome back to the cat flap, my dear. Hi there. Hey, those, um, those daggers which I've obviously left at the cloakroom, um, you did a wonderful job on them. Oh, the fangs are vast, they're treating you well, are they? They are treating me so well. Teleporting all over the shop. I wish everything that I would likely lose can teleport back into my hand. Very handy. Love, love your work. Big fan. Very handy. So what brings you, uh, to the penny on Beltane? I'm just, uh, you know... Did you, uh, put an order in with the pharaoh? Put an order in with the pharaoh? What are you talking about? Oh, do you know Zanash? She's an expert on acquiring things from the other side. An expert on acquiring things from the other side? You mean from the other side of... From the fey realm. From the fey realm? Well, what is she bringing in a hole? Every Sawain, she goes over to the fey realm to bring things that uh, they can't produce over there. Mm -hmm. And then in Beltane, she comes back and brings fey wild produce and magic artifacts, little trinkets and such that the fake community get. Ooh, that sounds sweet. If you want your order for next year, you'll have to catch her in the next six months. Okay, maybe I will. Is she here collecting orders on Sawain then? Yes, she would have been uh, She would have been here getting ready to cross over. Someone told me at the door that there was a bit of a kerfuffle, you might say, last Sawain. What happened? There was one of the quizzies. She came in disguise to infiltrate the crowd. They don't usually come in here because it's very uh, dangerous for them, you see. She tried to use magic to stop the ceremony and stop the crossroads from being opened. She tried to stop the whole thing? Yes, but she wasn't powerful enough. There was, in Zanash's party, there was quite a powerful sorcerer, one of her old connections from the Nubian region. He did a powerful counterspell, stopped her in her tracks and completely paralyzed her. That'll show her. 
What happened to her then? Something distasteful, Panty. I'm not sure I want to talk about it. Well, fair enough. Perhaps I can get you a drink. What you got here? Well, we got Ribena, as always. Yummy, yummy. I'll have one of them, please. Hey, tell you what I had earlier. Vimto with milk in an ale. You ever tried it? Sounds interesting. It was tasty. I called it the Panty Slurps. Maybe I'll um, mix myself one of these. Meanwhile, Curtis has made his way backstage and to the door of Maggie Mulberry's dressing room. A fairy stagehand has mentioned there is a Mr. Greywing here to see her, and he is let in. Sat before her mirrored dressing table, costumed in a shiny green gown reminiscent of that worn by Titania in the painting above the door at Curtis's local, is the elderly star of the stage and the leader of the Fool's Brigade. Mr. Greywing, is it which one? It's me, Mags. It's Curtis. Curtis Greywing? No. Come here, let me look at you. What has it been? Ten years? Why, you're all grown up? Yeah. Long time no see, Mags. How's how you keeping? Oh, you don't worry about me, Curtis. I've got everything I need here at the penny. You've just caught me getting ready for my big performance. <laughs> you're playing Titania again. Yes, it's just a little satirical number that we do for the May Carol dance. Uh, hope it goes swell. Aside from her costume, there's another thing in this room that you notice. Behind her, there is a golden birdcage. And inside is a small brown finch with mostly brown plumage, but its chest and forehead area are strawberry pink, reddish colour. Do I recognise that as anything? Make me a nature check. Nature... Nine. And uh, you don't know what type of bird it is. Oh, got yourself a pet, have you? Oh yes, my sweet little songbird. She'll be helping me with a number tonight. Lovely. Anyway, I I know your time is short, so uh, should we get to business? What business do you have with me, Curtis? Are you coming back into the fold? No, Mags, I'm afraid I'm not. But I need to know about... There was a shipment of rifles last September that went missing. Rifles that were meant for the Shooter's Hill gang. Shooter's Hill want them back. Now, I'm not working for them, but I also don't want a bloodbath on these streets if they come in here looking for that stuff. You know where that stuff is, don't you, Max? That kind of thing is very endy. Uh, um, the main streets of Frogmore when you're trying to protect your community. Yeah, it is. And I'd love to see it used to help our community, but not if it brings a war to the streets. You don't know Teddy Fowler like I know him. He's ruthless. If he knows we've got him, if he knows you've got him, he won't just come for you. He'll come for me. He'll come for my family. Well, that's funny, isn't it? Because I remember when we were your family. It is an awful shame when people turn their back on their heritage. Especially when you come from such a prestigious family as yourself. I'm sorry. I made my choice. Maybe it wasn't the right one. I don't know. Listen, all I know is Teddy Fowler is is an evil man. And we can't let him bring hell to these streets. It's bigger than just families and and people. It's about Frogmore. Exactly. Teddy Fowler is becoming a recurring thorn in our side, peddling his drugs to our community, opening up his gambling operation on our turf. I just came here to, to stop violence. I don't want... I don't... We can talk about that later. Can I make a suggestion, Curtis? Yeah. Stay here for the evening and help us celebrate the coming of the summer. And afterwards, you and I can have another little chat. 
and you can tell me all about your years working for Teddy Fowler, exactly what he's up to. And if you see those rifles anywhere, you'll forget all about it. Was it safe? Oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> Quite a suggestion. Quite a suggestion. Ah, no can do, Max. Don't think I will. Listen, I don't love Teddy. I don't love arming him. But I sure as hell don't love him snooping around here. And if he keeps his nose out of here, out of Frogmore, isn't that better? You know, Curtis, when the Fae first arrived in Capital, they put us in caves. How much land do you think they have up there over the river? How many big stately houses and how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms? No, they shoved us underground. And it wasn't until the brigade turned up that we decided to take a leaf from the Prince of Fools playbook, take something for ourselves. So we took the Frogmore, and they let us have it eventually. We made a gnome of it. But isn't it funny, Curtis? After a hundred years, we're still here in the mud, with the dirty end of the shit stick, while bastards like Teddy Fowler get to drink from the cup of progress. I think it's time we turn to the fool again, don't you? Get something better for ourselves. She gestures to the side of her dressing room table where you see a small shrine to the Prince of Fools, who is this huge satyr warrior. I've seen what better's like. I've lived in Rivermouth. Don't get me wrong, it's lovely. It's fancy. Look at me in my fancy clothes. But it gets your soul, it gets your heart. I've done things. Max, I've done things in the last ten years I never thought I could do. And and it, it changes you. And I don't know if I want that for, for us. Do you want that? It's poisonous. She gently places her hand on top of yours. Curtis, there's no poison here. You don't have to worry when you're with us. The fool banishes it. And those rifles are going to help him and us. He's trapped in a box just like we are. But he has his ambitions and so do we. How many have to die for your ambitions? Not a single fae. <laughs> In fairy, we are immortal. And we can be here. And what about me? Am I one of your fae? Prestigious family and all? Well, of course. The Grey Wing name holds a lot of weight here in the Fool's Brigade. Because of your grandfather. Such a brave little lad. I don't know much about him. He was the Fool's standard bearer. And again, the Grey Wing family can play a role in the history of the Fae. But Frogmore was a big place. Lots of Fae here. But there's also lots of other folk, ordinary folk. What about those folks? Those folks who don't see with magical eyes or know how the stars work. Those ordinary folks, what's going to happen to them? Can promise me we'll be safe, me and mine? Curtis, I'm hearing a lot from you about me and mine, us, we. Why don't you go take a seat in the auditorium, enjoy the show. And never think about that for me, will you? Right. Break a leg, Max. And you, Curtis. Together we can break the old thing. <laughs> Are you going to stick around for the May Carol dance? The May Carol dance? Hey, It's the uh, climax of the show on Beltane. It's a thing that Maggie used to do with her husband. But uh, now she does it with her son. Sounds nice. Maybe I'll stick around. It's quite a sight. A powerful uh, communal act of magic that opens up the crossroads. Oh, to bring back Zanash? Yeah. And all the goods? Mm-hmm. 
all the goodies. Goodies for all. Sounds fun. Traditionally, it required an animal blood sacrifice, but they don't tend to do that nowadays. Only for special occasions. An animal blood sacrifice? Uh-huh. They're not going to sacrifice me, are they, Bessie? You an animal? Well, <laughs> some people have given me that feedback. Alright, I'll stick around. Nice talking to you, Bessie. Panty, as you go to leave the cat flap, you notice that up in the rafters, there's someone watching you. Oh. A small sprite with pale grey skin and hair and pastel pink wings, looking down at you with a very stern expression. Oh, sheesh. Sheesh. As soon as you notice her, she turns invisible. She turns invisible? Panty exits the cat flap into the back corridors of the Lucky Penny and takes another sniff of that handkerchief, trying to pick up the scent of Lyneth Powell, and she finds a faint residue in the air that leads her towards the dressing rooms. This backstage area is busy with staff and performers hustling to run the show smoothly, including the compere, the satire drag queen, Danny Leno, with her big pink petticoat. From one of the dressing rooms, a stagehand wheels a golden birdcage towards the side stage area. It catches Panty's attention because it holds a unique scent signature. The birdcage smells like the hanky. Yeah. Uh-oh. Um, you can make me a nature check. Yeah. 14. Do I... Plus one. 15. Panty, the bird in that cage is a linnet. Panty also notices Curtis, who has run into that young female owl folk Panty saw in the cat flap. It's his sister, Jenny. Oh, hey, gent. Oh, Curtis. I didn't know you was going to come and see me. Oh, of course. I wouldn't miss one of the family. Oh, I think you'll really love my material. Oh, I can't wait. You always got good stuff lined up. You know how to make us cry. I'll slide it over. Curtis, can I... Can I have a word? I'll, I'll see you afterwards, Jen. Oh, who's your friend? I am oh, no. magnificent Panty Snipes. Oh. Nice hey. to meet you. Knock, knock. Who's there? Baby Owl. Baby Owl, who? <laughs> Baby Owl, see you at the bar. Oh, I thought you were trying to get me to go, whoo, whoo, like That's, a baby owl. It's a good one, though. Maybe I'll see you at the... Alright. We were just gleaning. No, I don't know if we are. Panty. <laughs> Alright, i got to uh, do me vocal warm-ups anyway. I'll see you guys later. See you later, Jen. I'll see you later, Jen. I'll see you at the bar. <laughs> if you lay one paw on my sister... Then what? Then we're going to have to have some words. Alright, 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 alright. I can't help my... Alluring presence uh, having its effects on your siblings, but all right, I'll um, I'll back off. Thank you. Now, what did you want to talk to me about? All right, so you know I was looking for Linny the Quizzy. Linny the Quizzy. So I was sniffing around. Someone told me that last year there was a Quizzy in here trying to stop the Salway celebrations, and something happened to her when she tried whipping out some magic. Anyway. I went sniffing around, and my scent led me to outside Maggie's dressing room. Out came a bird. The type of bird is called a linnet, and that my scent trail led me right to that linnet that was in the cage. I saw that bird in in the dressing room, yeah. Uh, Wait, you don't seriously think that that's... I mean, it smells like her. They turned her into a bird. And they said they were going to... It looks like they're going to do something with her in the show. When I was talking to Bessie, 
she said that back in the day they used to do an animal sacrifice at the Beltane Festival. And they don't like the quizzies. And that bird smells like the quizzy who I'm looking for. I really hope they're not going to sacrifice the quizzy. Fuck. I hate quizzies as much as the next guy, but that's that's horrible. So, I was wondering, I might have to hang about backstage and then see if I can chat with that little bird. Because, you know, I can talk to animals. I'm not just charming with your sister. <laughs> uh, right, well, uh, yeah, that, 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 you can go and talk to the bird. Find out that it's definitely a, a, a person who's been turned into a bird and not just, um, you know, a bird. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's a likely possibility. What, yeah. did, what happened with, what did you find out? Uh, I tried to talk Maggie out of doing something. She tried to charm me. I... She's got the guns. She's going to do something with it in the show. We need to be ready for She's going to do something with it in the show? Yeah. What's she going to do in the show? I don't know. I was talking to someone in the cat flap, and they said that this Zanash is like a kingpin smuggler, and if you ask them for something at Salane, they cross over into the other world, they come back in Beltane with all the wondrous things you can imagine. They if, don't... if those weapons went missing in Salane, maybe... They've been in the other world with this Zanash creature. In the Fey Realm? In the Fey Realm. So that means they're bringing them back tonight. Could be. Could be. I mean, birds could be people. But bringing the weapons back for what? I don't know. What, what did Maggie say? So your point here is that these weapons are going to start a war. Yeah. Do the, do the, does Maggie seem at all worried about starting a war? She wants, she wants more for the Fey community in Frogmore. And yeah, I think she's not worried about starting a war. I think I think she wants that. She wants a war. She said no harm will come to the Fae. Yikes. I was just here for some chicken and a good time, and I've got myself wrapped up in some serious moral quandaries. You do have a habit of doing that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But what do we do? Should we see if we can find out if these weapons, if there's any trace of them in this building, just to make sure that they definitely are, and they have been definitely smuggled away to the Fae realm? Sounds like that'll be a good shout. I'll I'll keep an eye out on the bird. You let me know if you hear anything about the weapons. I'll be hiding backstage. With only a few more acts left to go before Maggie's main performance, the lobby has mostly emptied, and Curtis heads back to chat with the person he thinks might know more about the guns. Becca the Pisky. Hey, Becca. Well, look who it is. Little Owlet coming back to the nest. Yeah, just uh, stopping by for Beltane. Heard you become a bit of a celebrity in the rings of Rivermouth. I do know how to dodge a few and how to throw a few. It's a useful skill to have if you ever wanted to come back and work for me. I'll keep that in mind. But listen, you know what the show is going to be about, right? Well, you missed most of it already. They got a new girl on, then it'll be Maggie's May Day dance. Welcoming in the summer, opening up the crossroads to the Fey Realm. So how are things in the Fey Realm? Same as always from what I hear. Time moves differently there, you see. Titania's still in charge, the fool's still in his prison cell. Yeah. Seems weird just knowing there's this other world over there where we all came from, and then uh, they were like, bye, see ya. Some people can't handle big ideas, Curtis. They quash them. Lock him away like they lock the fool away. May you rise again. Yeah, that would be nice. You guys working to make that happen ever? In Sealy? No, it's a suicide mission. 
Even if we had another army, Titania's learnt her lesson from the last uprising. She wouldn't let it happen again. Yeah, but what if you had, I don't know, guns, cannons? We've got technology, don't we? Ha, I like the way you think, Master Greywing. Shame it don't work like that, though. All your prime technology, guns, rifles, they didn't work in the Fey Realm. You see, the air in the Fey World is thick with wild magic. It'll gum up all your little fiddly cogs and wheels. Machines need order, and... Well, the Fey Realm, it's pure chaos. Oh. But she beckons you closer. The things we can do to a rifle in the Fey Realm to get it ready for use here in the Prime Plane. Well, that's very interesting. I'm very keen to get my hands on one, if you know what I mean. Look, uh, good chatting to you, Becca. All right, Curtis. Go on now. Curtis turns to leave and heads into the auditorium because he knows his sister's act is the next one. The pretty fey elf with honeysuckles in her hair sings for the crowd. Panty has located the birdcage, behind the curtain to stage right. The combat has left for a drink of water and they are alone. For now. Linny, is that you? The bird tweets a little bird song. Mm-hmm. What you hear is screaming. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I take that as a yes, then, Lily. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Um, Frederick's been looking for you. Oh, has he? Oh, well, he's a lovely chap. Hey, in a bit of a situation. Yeah, I can tell. I mean, it seems like you walked right into it yourself, but what are you doing here? I found out the sorcerer I was tracking mm-hmm. was planning to come here on Samhain, cross over to the Fey Realm, and leave the city. It was my last chance to get him. Right. And so you came in here and tried to take on an entire room full of fame people. It was my only chance to catch an enemy of the state. Yeah, I think we share different opinions about the importance of that. But I'm here to help you out if you want it. If you want it. I'm not going to help you take down the Fool's Brigade, but I can help you escape. Okay, make a perception check. Oh, shit. Make an intelligence save. Ten. You feel something hitting the back of your skull. Not physically, but like a little needle in your spinal cord. And your mind fills with despair. This person is going to die and you cannot stop it. And you might die. You hear someone coming into the room. It's that drag queen, Danny Leno, with her big pink petticoat. Can I slide into the shadows? All right, all right, you horrible lot, settle down. We're nearly there, nearly at the end, madam. Just one more to go before your headline performer. Yes, please, come find your seat, latecomers, don't worry. Everybody's looking at you. As Danny Leno returns to the stage, Curtis is led through the auditorium to the front row where he finds a seat. Our penultimate performer for this evening is a virgin. It's her debut here at the Lucky Penny, Miss Jenny Raywin. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you very much. You're so kind. You know, uh, I was in the pub the other day, just wetting my beak. All the other patrons in there were kenku. I said, what is this, a crowbar? I see there's a couple of kenku in there tonight. Uh, how are you doing? You know, they invited some friends to come, but they couldn't make it, unfortunately. It was an attempted murder. Because they're crows, you see, dear. Did you get that one? You know, some of you might know my brother. He's a pugilist of some renown. His last fight was against a pirate. He had a mean right hook. 
You know, the other day people were queuing up all down the street to sort my brother in the jaw. How's that for a punchline? Seriously, though, he's fallen on hard times as my brother. Moved back into the nest with our mum and dad. At least that comet experience isn't going to waste. He is single, though. You know, he asked me the other day, Jenny, where's the best place to pick up chicks? I said, the end house. <laughs> my brother, though, he's a grumpy bastard with a grumpy stomach. Irritable owl syndrome. <laughs> what was that about you guys? Speaking of complaints, I went to the clinic last week and all the doctors in there were ducks. I said, I won't go there again, they're all quacks. Seriously though, at least they weren't pelicans, because I'd have been looking at a massive bill. <laughs> you know, people often ask me, Jenny, do you rehearse your act at all? No, I always wing it. Thank you, I've been Jenny Greywing, and Al, see you at the bar. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, oh you, aren't you a big bunch of fairies, and I know just what you're all waiting for. Our headline act to welcome in the May, our hostess with the mostess, my mother and yours, the fairy queen of Frogmore. Well, let's summon her onto stage then with a chorus of song 12 in your playbook. Oh, the fairies! Mulberry. The stage goes black as the limelight is covered up. Panty, you see a stagehand wheeling Lyneth's cage onto the stage as the stout figure of Maggie Mulberry flies over to the centre stage from the other side. The limelight comes back on in a flash, illuminating her shiny green dress as she smiles, raises her arms and soaks up the applause from her loving audience. Thank you, thank you. Now, as you might have guessed from the appearance of my avian accompanist, we're going to start with a little song that we've all come to know and love about a little songbird who saw something she probably shouldn't have. There was a little songbird upon my windowsill And through the window was she had it gave her quite a thrill she had me being dirty with my birdie, or was it Bill? And from her tongue, a lovely song she began to trill. Birdie, 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 I hope you understand. And birdie, 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 your wish is my command. A gilded cage to swing in, all the birds seed in the land. But if you sing to my old man, I'll crush you in the end. I went down to the penny to see the fairies there. And who do you think was there already, hovering in the air? 
She caught me being naughty in a saucy old affair. And from her beak, a little squeak, attempted to declare. Oh, birdie, 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 I hope you understand. And birdie, 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 wish is my commander. Gilded cage to swing in all the birdseed in the land. But if you sing to my old man, I'll crush you in the end. I'll crush you in the end, crush you in the end. Oh, if you sing to my old man, I'll crush you in the end. Has anybody here seen me? How I double and I as anybody else in me find her if you can. She came here all alone, oh, and she's just skin and bone, oh. Has anybody else seen me? We'll send her back to her old man. Oh, and I need you both to make wisdom saves. Oh my god. Okay, Panty, you think Maggie is just the greatest performer you've ever seen. You idolise her. And if anyone asks you about her performance, you'll speak glowingly of it. I mean, it was a great performance. And if anyone tries to stop her doing anything, you're going to hinder them. Maggie will continue to perform a medley of songs for about 20 or 30 minutes. And Panty, you notice the stagehand, flies back across the stage and takes the birdcage, wheeling it back past where you are waiting and back towards the backstage. Panty tracks them as they put the bird back into Maggie's dressing room. Wait until they leave and then follow inside. There's some spooky shit going on. Could I do an extra perception check? Yeah, with disadvantage. Plus five. Twenty. I'm looking to see if anyone is watching me or if they... You know, that was that weird little... The sprite. The sprite. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking for things like that. I'm looking to see... Yeah, she's here. She's here? Yeah. In the, in the dressing room? Yeah. Whereabouts? You can kind of feel an invisible presence. You can't see her in the room, but if you look in Maggie's mirror, you can sort of see a shimmering space where there might be an invisible creature. What does Panty do? She holds her two hands together around her her belly and she rubs her hands together and then creates an orb of fog in her hand and then as she opens up her hands, the fog grows from there. Grey fog fills this corner of the room, giving you a moment of concealed cover as you approach the birdcage. She's going to slide over to the cage and go and gently grab the bird out of the cage. As you reach into the cage, you can feel a looming presence approaching behind you. Oh, God. And as your fingers close around the little bird, you feel a huge force surrounding your torso, applying pressure to your ribcage. Not enough to break anything. Gentle. You look down and see, wrapped around your body, a gigantic feline hand. Your own hand. Oh. You look up. Through the dissipating fog cloud, you see the golden bars of a giant birdcage. What? I am outside and inside the cage at once.
You pick up the bird, and the floor beneath you falls away. The room spins and tilts, giving you the worst motion sickness you've ever experienced. The only thing that alleviates it is putting the bird back on its perch. The tiny, fast heartbeat of the linnet reminds you of your time on the streets. You found an injured rat, didn't you, when you were digging around in the rubbish for chicken bones. Its limbs were broken, tail ripped off, eyes sticky with infection. Little heart beating heavy and fast, just like this bird. What did you do? I thought about eating it. I didn't eat it. I picked it up and asked it what's going on. You want me to kill you? So you want me to break your neck? Alright. Holds its shoulders, lifts its chin up, and stretches its neck until there's a cracking sound. As the rat's body went limp, it began to shift and grow in your hand. You threw it to the floor in shock and watched it change from an injured rat into an injured person. A druid wearing green overalls, broken but alive, and you saved them. Lenny, you're going to have to trust me on this one. As your hand closes tighter around the songbird, the giant fingers squeeze you with intense pressure on your ribcage, restricting your breathing. Oh, jeez. You're trapped, Panty, in a gilded cage. There's an enchantment here. It's designed to stop you from touching this bird, from rescuing this woman, and it's not going away until something breaks. I'm going to kill myself if I kill her. It's a risk, but aren't you the risk-taking cat? She's going to crush it in her hand. She brings the bird's neck. You crush the bird in your hand. You feel a snap in your spine. Meanwhile, back on the stage, Maggie's performance is coming to its climax, the May Day Carol Dance. She welcomes Danny Leno back. This time he is dressed as the Prince of Fools in a green and gold military coat with papier-mâché enlarged horns and eccentric fake facial hair. The two of them lead the crowd in song as the area in front of the stage is cleared of furniture. Faye revellers rush in to celebrate, sing and play music. The two performers join them on the theatre floor as they perform a lively dance, a mock battle between Titania and the Fool. You fall back onto the dressing room floor, paralysed. The tiny heartbeat in your palm is still, but the body of the bird begins to change, enlarge, burst from your enclosed fist until it becomes a woman with long, unkempt blonde hair, a shredded inquisitor's robe. You're unable to move, but you see the exhausted woman lean over you, hold her hand with outstretched fingers as waves of magic energy spill over you. Healing you? No, but you can breathe again. Move again. A powerful psychic illusion. I can dispel it, but it's the last of my energy. Before you can exchange thank yous, you notice a flurry of movement in Maggie's mirror. The sprite is diving at you with her sword in a blur of pastel pink. Panty rolls to the side as the sprite sword scrapes the carpet where her head just was. She springs to her feet, draws the fangs of Bast, and flings them both in retaliation. The first one thuds into Maggie's dressing room table before instantly returning to Panty's hand. 
the second one hits its target, knocking the sprite from the air as she immediately vanishes. Linny leans up against you. She's going to require your help to walk. Are you okay there? Yeah, I'm alright, but you need to get the hell out of here. <sighs> yes, we need to go. I don't really want to start a fight with the entire Force Brigade. Well, you may have. That sprite is Maggie's eyes and ears, you see? Quite literally. Literally Maggie's eyes and ears? Yeah. As you go to leave the dressing room, from the thin air in front of you appears a dog. A snarling pit bull that lands heavy on the carpet, putting itself between you and the door. still see your limbs and your person as if it were in light. You can feel the ground beneath you but not see it. There's one other thing you can see. Maggie Mulberry. You see her performing in the theatre as if there were no walls between you. She turns and looks directly at you. Her eyes are Miss Nights, I see you just fine for summer is a command today. There's a bird in your hand and it should be in mine in the merry morning of May. You feel the weight of Linny leaning against you until suddenly you don't as she is pulled away from you. 
You feel two pairs of hands grabbing your shoulders and arms, trying to force you to the floor. More than one person? Yeah. Ah, shit. Obviously I'm going to try and struggle free. You shove your hand out into empty space. It finds a person's body as you struggle and push them away. A club hits you in the back of the knee. You fall down, but as you do, you notice the inky blackness surrounding you has faded a little. You can just make out the silhouettes of the security team. The winter fey elf, the person made of green leaves, and you feel the hot breath of Target the dog on your face. Oh, shit. Curtis, even though you've been swept up in the celebration, you hear Maggie sing Panty's name in the song, and you know she's in danger. But Curtis has freaked the fuck out and probably knows that Maggie has some kind of spell on Panty. Curtis is shoving his way through all the, all the revelers. You push your way through the crowd, slip on your brass knuckles, and rush to the backstage area. Standing guard outside Maggie Mulberry's dressing room, John Joe. Johnny, let me in. Can't do that, I'm afraid, Curtis. We got a security issue. Our team's handling it. Don't you worry. Go back to enjoy the show. Johnny, you've got my friend. We've got your friend. Just listen to me. Let us go. We'll walk away from this. You won't hear from us anymore. Please. Please just let us go. Have you forgotten what it's like in the brigade, Curtis? We own Frogmore. You can't just walk away from it. But if you want to go plead your case to Becca, go on then. I'll let you in as a cheeky favour. As you go to push open the door, you notice John Joe's stance change. He's not a trained boxer like you, Curtis. You can see him signposting his punch from a mile away, and you're not letting him hit you this time. Before John Joe can even take a swing, Curtis punches him twice. Once a gut punch to the stomach, and then a heavy blow. An uppercut to the chin, which knocks him aside. Curtis pushes past him and rushes into the dressing room. Panty, you hear the flickering of tiny wings getting closer and faster. As suddenly you are clocked in the cheek by a small metal hammer swung with immense force. As the impact rings around your skull, the dark delirium fades away. As your vision returns, you see Curtis burst into the room. Curtis, you see Panty being restrained on her knees by the security team, Target the dog, and Becca Briar having just attacked her with a toffee hammer. The injured and exhausted Inquisitor is being held at sword point by the pink sprite. Maggie, I know you can hear me. Let us go, now. Let us walk away. We won't give you any trouble. Just let us go. The sprite's left eye goes completely black, and she takes a second as if communicating with somebody who is not present. Then she gestures to the Fae Bouncers, who drop Panty and pick up Lyneth. Now listen, Max, we're going to leave, and we're going to never speak a word of this. But you let us leave, and you get what you want, do you understand? All three of us. The sprite flies over to Curtis and speaks, with Maggie's voice. I believe you, Curtis. Maybe even the cat too. But my little songbird, no. She's been trained to sing. You've hurt her enough. Let her go, she won't come after you. We're not going to come after you. The show's almost coming to an end. Why don't you both come and... Celebrate. The security guards take Lyneth and drag her towards the stage. Panty and Curtis follow, overcome by a sudden urge to celebrate the first day of the summer. They re-enter the auditorium to the rowdy scene of the May Day Carol dance coming to its climax. As the crowd sings and dances and plays music, the air in the music hall becomes thick with wild magic. 
like the static in the atmosphere before a thunderstorm and it begins to burn a white hot line down the middle of this space a seam in reality that crackles as it hits the floor in the center of the theater Crossroads splits open. A prismatic pyramid in space where two planes exist at once, and from it emerges a dark-skinned summer fey elf. Gold jewellery and tattoos dazzling in the limelight. Zinash, the pharaoh. She's greeted with a warm welcome by Maggie and cheers from the crowd. Following her is another crowd of fey peoples. Migrants coming to capital for whatever reason, escorted by a dozen or so members of the Fool's Brigade, who bring boxes and barrels of fey produce. Fruits, alcohol, meat. There are also a couple of heavier, sealed crates. And yes, one of them looks like it could hold 20 or so rifles. In the midst of all this activity, you see that Lyneth is being led into the middle of the crossroads. Oh no. She is pushed to her knees before Maggie Mulberry, who grabs her blonde hair in one hand, pulling her head up as she draws a knife in the other. Oh shit. An object flies out from somewhere in the crowd, slicing the Inquisitor's hair as she falls down to the floor. Maggie Mulberry looks down. Embedded in her belly, a bronze dagger with a bone handle. It disappears, and as she follows the trail of magic energy to its source, she sees it return to the hand of Panty Snipes. Oh, shit! (laughs) Curtis, um, upon seeing this happen, takes the one chance to run... Uh, uh, and, and try and grab her, yeah. Curtis, you sling Lyneth over your shoulder and run, barging through the crowd of revellers and newly arrived migrants. In the chaos panty, you see someone beckoning you over. Pantera, over here. A white-furred half-fey catfolk with flowers in her hair. Yay! I'm following her, and I'm also really excited that she's looking after me because I like her. <laughs> you both follow Bessie through the back corridors as she leads you back to the cat flap. It's now empty of customers, but you immediately feel calmer as she brings you to the back booth where we met her earlier. 
Underneath a bronze statue of the dancer, she throws the cushions aside, pulls up the bench to reveal steps going down. A smuggling tunnel, a discreet entrance for customers. It's a cat flap, and you both head inside. Panty and Curtis emerge from a cellar a few streets away into the nightlife of Frogmore on May Day evening. They carry Inquisitor Powell through the district and make their way back to Bedlam Square, where they hope to hand her over to her colleagues. The nighttime celebrations here are a lot more boisterous. Small bonfires have been lit around the entire square, over which teenage fey elves leap as they change from spring to summer colours. Our duo follow the sound of a distinct instrument, and they find the hurdy-gurdy man. Thornton Land. Thornton, got a little someone uh, you might be looking forward to meeting. She's very weak. She needs healing. So do I, actually, come to think of it. Lyneth, yeah, give her here. Inquisitor Rand picks her up and finds a secluded place for her to sit. He plays a short tune on his hurdy-gurdy which radiates with healing magic for both her and you. Inquisitor, she's been held captive for, for months by the Fae. Look after her. Yes, we will. Thank you for saving her. The Fool's Brigade are not easily trifled with. As much as we would want to limit their power. Not everyone in Frogmore is like that. Lenny, what do you want me to tell to, uh... What do you want me to tell Frederick? Oh, well, it's not really the first thing on my mind right now. Please tell him I'm alive. I'll tell him you're alive. And thank, thank him for sending someone after me. I think i get my chickens. If you could uh, give him a bouquet of yellow flowers. A bouquet of yellow flowers? Is that the one that means you're not interested? Yes, I think. I just need to maybe get out of the city for a while. Uh-huh. I think that would be best. Okay, I'm going to head on back to the Queen Titania uh, to retrieve my chicken payment. So the owl and the pussycat return to the Queen Titania, where an evening of food, friends and folk traditions await. Later that night, after carrying his drunken sister home, Curtis goes for a midnight stroll into Rivermouth. And he arrives, for the first time in several months, at his former home from home, Big Bryn's boxing gym. Soft lamplight spills from the window, and he heads inside to find, practising alone at the punch bag, Handsome Larry. Evening, Lal. Happy Beltane. Curtis, I wasn't expecting to see you again so soon. Come here for a late night training session? Or you haven't found those rifles already, have you? Yeah, but, um, you're going to need to sit down. Larry fetches a bottle of whiskey from a locker and the two men sit underneath the ropes of the boxing ring to share it. So, um, it was the Force Brigade got your rifles. They wanted to use it, use them for something. They took them into the Feywild and did some kind of magic with them. Well, guess we're not getting them back any time soon then. You know, I had a suspicion it was them. Tensions between the two gangs have been getting a little bit anxious lately, but this is a big escalation. Did you get any idea what their plans were for these Feywild rifles? I met... Maggie Mulberry. She said they have big ambitions. I think they want to move the Fae out of Frogmore. I think they want to take it against anyone who ain't Fae. I think, I don't know, but they want a war. But rather a war with Shooter's Hill than with ordinary folk. Okay, well. I don't want anyone to get hurt, you know I don't, Lal. 
You know I don't want anyone to get hurt. Curtis, how many times we punch each other in the face? Nobody wants to get hurt. But some of us have to take the punches, don't we? You can say that again. But listen, I still... I don't work for Teddy. You got that? I know, Curtis. I'll keep your involvement between us. I'll try and keep your name in Teddy's good books. Thank you, Lal. Sometimes it's hard to know who I can trust, but... I am glad I got you. It's good to hear, Curtis. Did you want to stick around have a training session? Or we could do something else together? I uh, need to sleep. Long day. <laughs> okay. Well, good night, Curtis. And happy Beltane. Adventures in Capital, Episode 1, The Frogmore May Carol, starring Jesse Cooper as Curtis Greywing, Piper as Panty Snipes, and JC Crossley as everything else. It featured extra special sound design by Tony Ushin HC, using his psychophysiological framework for audio design, as well as additional sound design by Michael Gelfie. A full list of music featured in the episode is available at patreon.com forward slash Adventures in Capital. It was a Jurassic Cast production created, edited, and produced by J.C. Crossley. That's me, and I'll see you next time for another adventure in Capital.